You're listening to the weekly sermon from Antioch East Baptist Church, located in Magnolia, Arkansas. For more information about our faith and local congregation, visit AntiochEast.com. Romans 3 and verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe for there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the time at the uh, at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus the title of our message this morning is the gospel of the gospel Now, you may say that doesn't make sense. It makes perfect sense if you know what the word gospel means. Amen? The word gospel simply means good news. Declared good news. And what Paul does is finally, I'm going, I need to stick my notes here, but he finally gets to the gospel presentation of well, he's, in the, he's, he's preaching the gospel, but he finally gets to the good stuff. <laughs> Amen? The reason for the title is because gospel means good news. So that's what we're saying, the good news of the gospel, but I just did a little play on words there. The word gospel, now listen to me, is used 13 times in the 16 chapters of Romans. So I think it's key, and it's evident that it's key to this book. Of the 13 times the word is used, now listen, it appears four times in chapter 1. And that's just till verse 16. And one more time in in chapter 2 in verse 16 where it says, In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. And the only reason I think he put it in there is because everything so far has been bad news. You're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're without hope, you're without hope, you're without hope. That's all Paul has been doing. You say, why? So that people would quit excusing themselves and thinking that they can be saved on their own merits. Paul is ready. He's eager. He's excited to preach the gospel. Matter of fact, in Romans 1, 1, Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel. He said, I've been separated to the gospel. That's what I do. That's what God's called me to do is to preach the gospel of God. Verse 9, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make, ceasing, I make mention of you always in all my prayers. Look at uh, chapter 1, verse 15. So as much as in me, as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Can you see his excitement? Now, look at verse 16. 
for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, it, what? The gospel. Although it's not the word, he's referring to the gospel. is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it, here it is, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Man, isn't that exciting? He's just talking about the gospel. He said, I'm ready to preach it, and so he does. And he starts, and yet for the past two and a half chapters, the last 70 verses that we have been preaching on after Paul said that in verse 16, Paul has been making clear that we are lawbreakers, sinners, totally depraved and without hope to save ourselves. In other words, Paul has not yet told us any good news. And what the modern evangelical leaders would say is Paul doesn't know how to preach the gospel. Some would tell you you've got to start out by telling people how much God loves them. Paul started out by telling them how much God hates them. I mean, he really did. The Bible says God is angry with the wicked every day. And he just spent two and a half chapters saying, you're wicked, you're wicked, you're wicked. Where's this good news Paul started talking about? Totally depraved, without hope to save ourselves and, 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 and to stand in God's presence to be acceptable to him, Paul says, to be saved, you must be righteous. And yet for two and a half chapters, he has done nothing but pound us and say, you're not righteous, you're not righteous. You can never be righteous enough to be saved. That's a funny good news you got there, Paul. Well, he didn't quit writing in chapter 3, verse 20. He didn't stop, hallelujah. But Hebrews 12, 14 says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness. Now listen, without which no man shall see God. You are not even going to be able to see God if you're not holy. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, listen. Do you not know that the unrighteous, now listen, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is bad news. This is bad news. Why? Because you've lied. You've taken God's name in vain. You have coveted what is not yours. You have, you have not uh, uh, remembered God. You have, you have had other gods before him. You, you have uh, uh, loved things before him. You have not obeyed your parents and honored your father and mother. You have broken every one of the Ten Commandments. And that's not all the laws, by the way. That's just the Big Ten. That's basically the, the, the main points. Everything else is a sub-point. And I guarantee you, I can prove everybody in this building has broken every one of the Ten Commandments, if not with your hands, with your heart. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, or flesh are evident, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness. And all this is, well, brother, on, I tell you, I'm not an adulterer. I'm not a fornicator. I'm not an uncleanliness. Let me ask you, what if we opened up your mind to see what you've been thinking about? 
Jesus said, if you've thought it in your heart, you have committed adultery. Idolatry. Well, I've never been an idolater. Really? How many people are going to skip church tonight to go watch a ball game? Idolaters. Now, we're recording it. We're going to watch that for sure. Nothing wrong with that. Where was I? Idolaters. Sorcery. You know what this word sorcery means? Now, listen to me. It is the word pharmacia. It's drugs. Illicit drugs. It's marijuana. Marijuana is a sin. I don't care what the government's legalizing. Doing drugs, mind-altering substance is a sin. Just like lying. Just like all the other. Hatred, con- uh, contentions. Je- I'll go read that in, in, in the Senate and Congress. But anyway, I'm going to go on. Jealousies. Outbursts of wrath. Again, I must go on. Selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder. Oh, I've never murdered anybody. Don't get me on that. You know I've proven to every one of you you've been murderers. I'll knock his head off. Last time I've seen someone knock somebody's head off, that they died. Well, I didn't really mean it. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Revelries, drunken uh, illicit parties, that's what revelries are. And the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I've also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, Brother Ron, you've been doing a lot of preaching at me and pointing out those things. Right, let me tell you, I'm no better than you. I've broken every one of those things, if not with my hand and my heart. The point is this, none of you in this building are going to see the kingdom of God on your own. I will never make it to heaven on my own. You say, Brother Ron, you're a goody two-shoes. They always accuse the pastor of that. Well, you're, you're, and then they'll say, well, you're a hypocrite because I know you're a sinner. That's what I'm saying to you people. We're all sinners. You'll never find a preacher that's going to be able to preach to you It's not a hypocrite. It, well, you know what I mean. I sin. I sin every day. I, I'll admit it. I struggle with sin just like everybody. But somebody's got to do this. You want to do it? You come on up and have it. Somebody's got to tell us what it is. I'm not trying to be some goody two-shoes. I'm telling you, everybody in this building, including the man behind the pulpit, is in trouble if righteousness and holiness is all it takes, is, is what you have to have to get you to heaven. You say, Brother Ron, that's, that, that's scary. Exactly. Matter of fact, that's exactly what he's wanting you to see. Look at verses 19 and 20, which we've already covered. I've got to go quicker than this, but that's okay. Listen. Uh, look at verse 19 of chapter 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, the Ten Commandments, any command in the Bible, it says to those who are under the law, that's you, that's me, that every mouth may be stopped. That you quit making your excuses. What did we study in Sunday school today? We saw that this rich young ruler was asking Jesus, well, how do you inherit eternal life? And he was trying to trap Jesus. And Jesus turned it on him. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. He had him admit that. that That's one. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the head of the Ten Commandments. You do those two things, you're not going to do the rest of them. And Jesus said, uh, said, well, go and do that likewise. And the man, listen to what it says, wanting to justify himself. Why? Because he knew 
he had hatred in his heart towards people. He knew he hadn't kept those laws. He knew he hadn't loved God with all his heart. He knew he hadn't loved his fellow man like he ought to. He knew he was guilty. That every mouth may be stopped and all the world become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified by us. In other words, my friend, you cannot be saved by your good works. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is, and I add this word, just, the knowledge of sin. And Brother Ron, what do you do when you read those verses? I tell you what you do. You do like that Philippian jailer. The, yeah, the Philippian jailer. You cry out, what must I do to be saved? What in the world do I have to do to be saved? I like the mood music. Don't y'all like the mood music? <laughs> Somebody's phone is going off. I don't know if you hear that or not. Kind of, kind of sound very angelic. Need to that after this point. You know, when we hit the good one. I'm sorry. I tell you what you do. I tell you what you do. You cry out. What must I do? How in the world can I escape hell? How in the world can I escape inevitable judgment? What must I do to be saved? And that's exactly where Paul wants you to be in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. And then. Imagine the fear of the people on the Titanic. Let me get to my illustrations first. Can you imagine the fear of the people after it hit that iceberg and the ship started leaning and going under? It took two hours and 45 minutes for that ship to sink. Chaos, confusion, sheer panic, but there were lifeboats. There was a chance of survival. They were concerned for their physical life and feared their physical death. Only then, though, some of them were concerned for their spiritual life. Many of them went under the waters, died under the waters, singing a gospel song, Nearer my God to thee, nearer my God to thee. Can you imagine the hopelessness, the helplessness, plunging into the freezing waters knowing they were 400 and something miles away from the nearest rescue if they didn't make it to the lifeboats. The day it started raining, the people in Noah's day started running. They laughed at the old preacher building that stupid boat until it never had rain before on the earth. And the day it started raining, and my friend, it wasn't just rain. It wasn't even just torrential rain. The Bible says that the waters from the deep burst out of the ground, and people began to run and scream and beat upon the door, and even Noah tried to, and God shut the door and wouldn't let anybody else in. Can you imagine the fear and the hopelessness of the people in that day? As hopeless as you and I are, in our own righteousness. Imagine Paul ending this book with verses 19 and 20. No hope, no escape from the inevitable judgment of God where for sure you will stand guilty and be sentenced to eternal damnation, hell, and separation from God forever.
But thanks be to God. Paul didn't end in verse 20. Notice Romans 3.21, the first two words. But now. Excuse me a minute. with preaching the good news. It reminds me of Ephesians 2, 3, and 4, which is basically the same thing, just written to save people. This is written to lost people, but Ephesians. And Ephesians 2, 3, and 4 uh, sums it up. Listen to what Ephesians says. And, and you were by nature children of wrath, without hope, just as the others. And then verse 4, but God. But God. And this is Paul's Romans, but God. Here, God steps in. The key phrase in these verses, yea, the key phrase of the Bible is found five times in these verses, the righteousness of God. Brother Ron, you really think that you're going to heaven above anybody else? I absolutely do. Well, aren't you? Don't you think a lot of yourself? I do not. I do not think anything of myself. I think a lot of my God, though. And I called on his name, and he gave me his righteousness. That's why you can't lose your salvation. It was given to you. It's not your righteousness that saves. It isn't your righteousness that saves you. It isn't your righteousness that keeps you saved. My friend, there is no way in the world that you could ever save yourself or keep yourself saved. No, I am saved on the basis that God imputed his righteousness to me. Verse 21 says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law. Oh, gosh. I mean, he just goes crazy. I would say crazy. I shouldn't say crazy. He just goes happy. Let's put it that way. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What's the glory of God? The righteousness, the holiness of God. That's what he's talking about. You all fall short. Let me tell you something. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me just go on. Now, verse 26, to demonstrate at this present time his righteousness. Paul has already stated in chapters 117, for in it the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. That's another thing. You don't earn God's righteousness. You don't work for God's righteousness. God gives it freely to those who call on his name. Why won't you get saved today? Because you love your sin. You love your unrighteousness. Now some of you here, you have said a prayer, but you're just using God as a fire escape or a party pass. And you called on the name. You think that took care of it and now you live like the devil. My friend, you have not received the righteousness of God because the righteousness of God does more than just make your account full. It changes your life. You can't drop the Holy Spirit down into a human soul and it not change you. Paul said in Philippians 3, 9, I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by 
faith. He just summed up all the things he just said here in Romans, but I'm still going to preach all of it because it's good. The righteousness of God is revealed, and here we get to our sermon. What time is it? Oh, we got plenty of time. The righteousness of God is revealed, number one, it says in these verses, apart from the law. <laughs> apart from the law. Look at this. Verse 20 uh, one, look, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets. In other words, what he says is now you can be saved without doing the deeds of the law. You can receive the righteousness of God without the law. Galatians 2.16 says, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, listen, no flesh shall be justified. There's no law that can save you. You've broken it. Well, I'm going to do better. What if Jeffrey Dahmer had said that? Would that justify not sending him to jail? Well, I know that I've killed many people and eaten their bodies. Forgive me, but that's what he did. But I'm going to do better, Judge. Okay, Jeffrey, we're going to let it pass. You can go. You really think that's the way it works? That's not the way it works. My friend, above all, God is just. You say, well, God is loving. He's forgiving. Not above being just. He's not. Everybody goes to heaven by justice. We'll see that here in just a minute. And if you're not righteous, you're not getting in. But you can be righteous by receiving his righteousness. Galatians 3.10, did I read that? I'm going to read it again if I didn't. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For as is written, cursed everyone who does not continue in all things. See, if you don't continue law, you're cursed which are written in the books of the law to do them. Look at verse 11 though. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. He just repeated what he said in Romans about the just shall live by faith. Ephesians 2.8, we love these verses. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Listen, not of works lest any man should boast. Philippians 3, 9, that we may be found in him. Well, I've already read this to you. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. I don't want to be found in Jesus having my own righteousness. I have none. Matter of fact, I would never be found in Jesus if it depended on me. Now listen, let's go on to what it says. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Titus 3, 5, but not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. No law can save because no law, listen to me, can be kept. No law can save because no law can be kept. And my friend, we are justified, saved, born again, all the things you want to talk about, by a, a being apart from the law. The law does not say, all the law does is grab you by the shoulders, turn you around and shove you towards Calvary. You don't just have to be good to get to heaven. You have to be perfect. And we all fall short. But number two, 
Justification not only is apart from the law, it is achieved by Jesus Christ. It is achieved by Jesus Christ. That's another reason why you can't work for your salvation. Jesus beat you to it. Man, I wish we had a Pentecostal in here today. Just one, just one. Jesus beat you to it. He did all the work. He took all the judgment. He took all the wrath of God on himself for you and for me. It is achieved by Jesus. Look at verse 22 says, through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 24, in Christ Jesus. And the last, last phrase, I think the whole thing, verse 26, in Jesus. My friend, it's all about Jesus. It's Jesus. As one friend of mine said, you can cut this book on any page and it'll bleed the blood that stained the old rugged cross. Genesis is all about Jesus. Exodus is all about Jesus. Leviticus is all about Jesus. All of it. The Psalms, the Proverbs, the minor prophets. It's all about Jesus. And you say, well, don't you think it's about God? Jesus is God. Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and my Father are one. He is the express image of the Father. Number one, and you got my message today and we'll finish the rest of them next week maybe. Number one, under achieved by Jesus Christ, we are justified by Jesus' grace. By his grace. Now the word grace means unmerited favor. And that means unmerited by you. Unmerited by you. You don't merit his grace. You don't merit his, you don't merit salvation. He saves you by his grace. Unmerited. Look at what it says. Being justified freely. You, re, you realize that's really redundant. That's kind of like that commercial when I was a kid. It always confused me. Kills bugs dead. <laughs> that's what it said, isn't it? Kills bugs dead. Well, how else are you going to kill them? Dead. Yeah, I didn't understand. But anyway, justified freely. Grace, freely grace means to free, free to you and me. It was free to you and me. But my friend, I want to tell you something about your salvation. It was the most costly thing that ever was. You and I just didn't have to pay the price. Jesus paid the price. It's achieved by Jesus Christ, number one, by his grace. Number two, we are justified through redemption. Let me get to my, it says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law being witnessed by the law and prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and all who believe there is no difference. Look at verse 20. Let me see here. Because I'm not going to be going in chronological order through this, if you've noticed already. We're, 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 going, we're doing it by subjects in these verses. Very hard to do chronological because he skips around with things. Because you know what I think Paul's doing here? He just can't help himself. He just is just blathering the gospel. He just can't help it. Maybe I'm wrong. Let's see. Uh, being justified freely by his, verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, we don't think about words. We just read them and we go on and that's nice and that's wonderful. But my friend, what I'm trying to get you to do today is to rejoice in Christ, to understand what Christ and God has done to get you to heaven. Look at this, redeemed. This word redemption means to buy back the paying, to pay the required price, to pay the ransom. When I was a kid, 
My mother collected green stamps. You're looking at me like a mule looking at a new game. How many of you know what green stamps are? Raise your hand. Look at how many white-headed people just <laughs> raise their hand, of whom I am chief. Now, raise your hand, raise your high, unashamed. I do not know what green stamps are. Raise your hand. Yeah. Look at that. All the young people. You go to the grocery store. When I was a kid, I'd go with my mama. And she had these books, and they looked much like bingo cards to me. On each page, it was just a bunch of little squares. And she would buy so many groceries, depending on how much money she spent, they would take this thing. It was a, looked like, if I remember, it was a green machine. It was all green. And it was like a big rotary telephone, and the girl would put her finger in it, and she'd dial it, and all these green stamps would come out of that thing. It was amazing. I'd ask a woman, can I do that? <laughs> Every once in a while, they'd let me. And so we'd go home, and my mother would tear them off in fours or fives or how many were in a row, and she'd say, here, lick those. Here, lick those. Uh, uh, lick those green stamps, and I'd put them in that book. Oh, you enjoying this, aren't you? Precious memories, how they linger. Anyway. And my mother had stacks of these books, and she would do great. I remember my grandmother would do it too, but my mother did it. And this was back in the 80s. This is as late as the 80s. And she had these books, and finally one day she said, Ronald, we're going to Longview. We lived in Dadesville, uh, Texas. That we're going to Longview. We're going to go to the, the, the redemption store. And I don't know if that's what it's called, but that's what she called it. And I said, you just meant to do what? said, we're going to go redeem our green stamps. All these books we've been doing. I said, cool. What are we going to, what, what do you mean? I didn't, I didn't see. She said, come on. We'll go. So we went, her and a friend of hers and I, we went to Longview. And uh, I, was, I was actually a teenager at this time. And uh, she, so we went down there and uh, we went to this little store. It was in this uh, uh it was in a row of little stores, and it was. It's what it said. It had that little G thing on it, and it was the Green Stamp Redemption Store. And we went in there, and my mother took these stacks of these books and laid them on the counter, and she said, I want that Hoover vacuum cleaner. <laughs> and so she gave them her stamps that she'd collected from buying the groceries at the grocery store, and they gave her for free, it seemed like, a brand-new Hoover vacuum cleaner. She had redeemed it by the collection of stamps that she had. Much in that way, Jesus Christ, through the blood that he shed on Calvary and the, the taking of the wrath of God, he took that price and he took it to the Father and he said, here, I'm redeeming my people, my bride, my church, your bride, your church, or your people, the Israelites. And God redeemed us by his blood. I had a friend that was driving down the road. He always did this. He was seven foot tall, bass singer. He'd always do this to people. I remember he had a picture of this car. He's a real nice car. These, these young people come up behind him. And he did this to him. 
So in a minute, they pull back, and then they pull back up, and they roll down the window, and God is a teacher. said, what does that mean? He said, it means Jesus saves. Big old deep voice. And so they kind of laughed inside, and one of them hollered out, saves what? Green stamps? And all those smart aleck and stupid, and sh- he was right. Just like green stamps. Jesus redeemed us by his blood. They pulled back. Then they came on the other side, on the side he was driving, stuck their body out of the car with a shotgun and blasted him. He survived. He lives in Branson today, works at the shows in Branson. Tremendous testimony. But he talks about that Jesus saves. He saves. The redemption price for our salvation was a spotless, sinless sacrifice. Jesus Christ. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What will avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide. Whiter than snow you may be today. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Whiter than snow you may be today. We're justified by propitiation, and I've got to go quickly. We are justified by propitiation. That's a big word. It's a great word. You ought to study it. You understand it. I may even confuse you a little bit more here, but I'm going to dive in. Propitiation in the Greek is pronounced, is pronounced, excuse me, hilasterion. Hilasterion. Now, that doesn't sound like anything, but I'm just using it because I'm going to explain a little bit. Now, this is Vine's complete expository dictionary of Old and New Testament words, and this is how it defines it. So listen closely, okay? Don't, don't listen to me. Don't, don't let me lose you. The cover of the Ark of the Covenant signifies the propitiatory, so-called on account of the expiation made once a year on the great day of atonement. Well, that cleared it all up, didn't it? Well, yes, it did, if you understand those terms. Propitiation. I see propitiation as washing away, as covering. That's what the word means. It is the exact same word, I'll explain this in a minute, as the word mercy seat. That seat by which God would come down to meet with Israel. I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's okay. He propitiated. He stood in our place. He he took a, he 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 uh, uh, made us righteous by taking our place, and he expe- uh, uh, expedited our salvation by taking our sins and taking it away and removing it as far as the east is from the west. Expiation, propitiation—two great words. I know they're hard, but you ought to learn them. You ought to study them because that's what happened to get you into heaven. He took out away your sin. He atoned for your sin by becoming sin for you. Our English word propitiation in the Greek is hilasterion. It is the word for the Greek word kapar. That's what, that's what it is. If you come and you're reading about the mercy seat, it would be kapar. And there is what's called the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. It was written 200 years before Christ. 
this Greek manuscript. Some people believe that in the New Testament, Jesus quotes from this Greek manuscript. But in that Greek manuscript, when it comes to describe the mercy seat where the blood of the, where the forgiveness of the people happened, where they sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat, and God would come down in a cloud and he would settle on that mercy seat. It was the throne of God is what it was on earth. And he'd come down and he would meet and he would take away sin in a sense because of the blood of the lambs that were sprinkled on that mercy seat. You know what also that covered, that lid covered? It wasn't really a lid. It was actually a whole separate piece of furniture. It was on the Ark of the Covenant. You know what was in the Ark of the Covenant? Covered by the mercy seat? The law. So Jesus Christ's blood and the throne of God came between you and the law that you had broken. The mercy seat, the covering of the Ark of the Covenant was where God would come down and meet with the people for the atonement of sin. The high priest would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat that covered the law inside the Ark. This was temporary until Jesus once and for all came as a sacrifice for our sin. Jesus is the mercy seat. Jesus is the blood that was sprinkled there for the atonement of sin. Jesus is the God that meets with us there at the mercy seat. It is Jesus that saves. And by the way, let me remind you this. It's not the judgment seat. It's not the examination seat. It is not the punishment seat. It is the mercy seat. The mercy seat made possible by our last point, the blood of Jesus Christ. By his blood. Look at it, verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. In other words, it is Jesus' blood that was sprinkled on the mercy seat. You say, Brother Ron, what, what mercy seat? Where? What are you talking about? You come tonight and I'll explain it. How about that? But sufficient to say, Jesus Christ's blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat and the presence of God came down and accepted that sacrifice for all sin of all his people of all time. The blood represents sacrificial death. Sacrificial death. Now, you know, uh, the great song that Tony just uh, sang says it has a phrase in it, and I'm not disagreeing with it. I understand what it's saying. It is an illustration, but it says, sin died where the blood fell. Now, we know what that means, that through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, sin died. But my friend, when it says the blood of Christ, the blood of Christ is special because he was the perfect sinless son of God. He's the only one who could have saved us from our sin. But my friend, Jesus could not just bleed for our sin. He had to die for our sin. If I said the blood of that, that innocent blood that you killed, let's say you killed somebody, and I said their blood I require at your hands. I'm not talking about their actual blood. I'm talking about their death. You're responsible for their death. And Jesus Christ's death on the cross, his shedding of his blood has forgiveness. No other blood could save, but it was his death that saved. If it was just his blood that saved, he could have just pricked his finger and dropped it on all of us. 
But no, my friend, the wrath of God was poured out upon him. And he died in my place. And he also rose again. Jesus had to pay the price of our redemption. He had to take the wrath for our justification. He could not just bleed. He had to die for you and for me. And he did bleed. And he did die. And he did it in my place. And not only that, but Jesus, he's the mercy seat. He is the blood sprinkled on the mercy seat. He is the God that comes down and meets with us. But I want to tell you something else. There's only one other thing that's in that Holy of Holies when atonement time comes. You know what it is? The high priest. And Jesus is our high priest. After the order of Melchizedek. I ain't getting into all that. But hallelujah, he is our priest. And he brings a sacrifice. And God accepted it. And over and over again, I hadn't got to it. You had to come next week, but I'm just giving you a little heads up. How do I get that, Brother Owen? How do I get that applied to me? By faith. By simply receiving and believing. Turning from your sin and turning to God. It's the same thing. It's not two things. You can't turn from sin without turning to God, and you can't turn to God, the holy God, without turning from your sin. If you'll turn from your sin and turn to God and say, Oh God, forgive me my sin. What must I do to be saved? I am a sinner just like Paul has said, but I don't want to be, I want to be saved. God, wash me by your blood. You shall be saved.